Hello and welcome to the very first premiere episode of the Aussie Nerds podcast. With this podcast, I talk to movie fans about their favorite movies or an interesting movie that they picked just because they know me. And I couldn't think of a better guest to have than from Beyond the Box Set, John. That was a beautiful reading of our um, podcast titled uh, Beyond the Box Set. It sounds so dreamy. I like it. Mm. I'll just get your adverts for us. It's like, a, it's like it's beyond the galaxy, far away, a sci-fi thing. Yeah, I could just feel me and Harry just floating off into space. <laughs> you picked Muriel's Wedding. I did. Now, I'm willing to bet, I asked you what your favourite movie is, and I'm willing to bet you didn't pick your favourite movie. You're like, I know, let's pick the one that um, has all the gay things, and that's about Australia. You think this one no, you're right. I think it does have all the gay things, and it is set in Australia, but it is also my all-time favourite film. Oh, it really? really? Genuinely. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, why? <laughs> it's okay if you disagree. Um, I don't know. I watched this film when I was a kid for the first time, and I've watched it many, many times since. I think it just speaks to me on a very kind of personal level i mean first of all it's fucking hilarious i just think it i just love australian comedy and i think this film is so funny and so well observed but i don't know i grew up kind of a weird kind of outsider kid kind of not getting too personal but you know i spent a lot of time you know listening to music and you know pop music in particular was a big escape for me there is a lot of abba there is a lot of abba and i mean when i was a kid it wasn't really abba i love abba now but when i was a kid it was more like the spice girls they were my big thing you know it was the 90s they were that was, they were at their peak right then. But that kind of thing, Muriel's character in this film, you know, obviously she's a bit of an outsider, she's a bit awkward socially, and she spends a lot of time hiding in a room listening to ABBA songs, and that's kind of her escape. And I just, I just saw a lot of myself in that. And I also just really, I mean, this is, it was the first film I saw her in, but today I would say Toni Collette is maybe my favourite actress. She's definitely in my top five. I think she is so talented, and she, I think her performance is what makes this film more than just a funny comedy because she gives the character of Muriel so much heart and soul and she really makes you believe in it. And yeah, it's a film that makes me feel things and it makes me laugh and it's full of happy pop music. So it ticks every box for me. I just love it. I could watch it. If I see it on TV and there's like, whether there's 10 minutes left or an hour left or the whole thing to go, I will watch it. I cannot possibly flick it over. So I must have seen this film at least 20 or 30 times. I can see why uh, this is, uh, this would be likable. Because you have the light, poppy uh, music from ABBA. And ABBA's huge in Australia. One of the mm. biggest bands ever. At least it used to be. It might not be now. I don't, I don't uh, uh, keep up with the kids. What are the kids into <laughs> these days? And I'm sure the stuff. kids are still totally into ABBA. All the kids are rocking it to ABBA in all the clubs in Australia. I can see oh, it now. Yeah, definitely. It's like Drake and ABBA. <laughs> Those are the two. But yeah, yeah, Ariana Grande, Drake, Abba. The Holy Trinity of the kids right now. <laughs> Abba is still around, even if they're not like the biggest thing ever anymore. They used to be. And I can totally see someone writing the script being like, yeah, Abba's still great, right? Yeah. 
And if it's not, I'm going to show them why it should be. Well, yeah, I think that might be because there was a thing. ABBA obviously were very popular in the 1970s and the 1980s when they were around having hits for the first time. And then they kind of went away, they split up, and people kind of thought they were quite naff, and they kind of became a bit of a joke, and nobody really listened to them for a long time. And then in the 90s, there was this whole big ABBA revival, I think, and I think this film was a big part of it. I don't know what came first, but this film came out, you know, was a big celebration of ABBA. The Mamma Mia musical opened, which obviously made ABBA, was recently a film, which ABBA was, was a huge success, and also a band called Erasure. Were Erasure big in Australia? Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't keep up with trends. Oh, I mean, Erasure were big in like the early 90s, so they're not popular anymore. But they were huge, they were huge in the UK in the 90s, and they did a, an, an, like an EP of covers of ABBA songs that went to number one and was a huge hit. So all of these things combined in like the early 90s to make this huge ABBA revival. And I think Muriel's Wedding either kick-started it or was definitely kind of riding that trend, definitely. Well, in the movie, in the context of the movie, um, Muriel listens to ABBA and uh, all of her friends who are awful, terrible people that she shouldn't be around. I hate everyone <laughs> except Muriel and her best friend. I like her best friend as well. Um, but in the context, she's the only one that listens to ABBA because she mm-hmm. and listens to old music. So I'm guessing that this came out and then the ABBA revival happened because everyone realized, oh, these guys were great. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the way the ABBA songs are used in this film is so good i mean every time dancing queen kicks in they, they use like an orchestral kind of mix of it you know so it sounds like a heavenly choir of like gay angels singing dancing queen it's amazing um and it's just lovely time. and all the other films as well like the fernando scene is one of my absolute favorite films in the scene in scenes in the film when um muriel and her friend are like first bonding and they're lying outside looking at the moon and they just sing fernando to each other and it's so moving and it's not like romantic in a sexual way because I don't think they're ever supposed to be like attracted to each other in that way but they have this moment of total intimacy and it's really really heartwarming when they just sing Fernando to each other I love it it's very nice and the ABBA song's also thematically relevant she's like I don't need to listen to ABBA because I've evolved as a character and I only use ABBA in this specific context and I'm like yeah but you can still listen to it though Oh, I mean, I'm, you're going to have to stop me from just quoting the entire film throughout this podcast. But yeah, one of my many favorite lines is when she sits down and talks to, uh, to Rhonda and she says, you know, before I met you, all I did was sit in my room listen to ABBA songs. But now every day since I met you, I've not listened to one ABBA song because now my life's as good as an ABBA song. It's as good as Dancing Queen. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> it's good as Dancing Queen. Uh, I, can, I can buy that. It's good as Dancing Queen. That's so silly. It's so fun. Mm. Uh, it's not as good as Money, 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 though. No, which doesn't really get used in this film. They mostly stick to the, the ballads, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they pick the, the selection of ABBA is very careful and precise. Mm. It's always ones that fit the scene. I also love the way they use I do, I do, I do at the wedding, which is so cheesy, but so perfect. Yeah, the look on his face when he realizes that she's coming down to an ABBA song. Is oh yeah, well it's it's the bridesmaids. It's the way they kind of awkwardly try to like walk down in time with the music, and they look so uncomfortable. It's fantastic. <laughs> I did not know that the wedding, Muriel's wedding, was just going to be a sham wedding. Mm. Well, that's what's great because at the end of the day, you know, the story sets up this <laughs> very typical thing of like you know a, an, a, a quote unquote ugly duckling. I don't think she's ugly, but that's the idea that they put out there. You know, this kind of frumpy get, like wallflower who can't get a man. 
And it's like all, I wanted, all she wants to do is to be happy is to get married and to find a boyfriend. And at the end of the film, she doesn't have a boyfriend and she's not married. She's getting divorced, but th- she doesn't need that. That's, that's not really what gives her happiness. What brings her happiness is her best friend that she's found and, you know, believing in herself. And I love that. So I, I like the fact that the title is a little bit ironic because she didn't, she never needed a wedding to be happy. She just needed to find people who understood her and respected her. Like a totally not girlfriend, girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I could definitely see a version of this film where, you know, where it is a lesbian love affair, but I don't think it really goes there. Uh, This, um, you can tell this is made in Australia and not just made about Australia because it's Mm -hmm. so Australian from the type of racism that is in it uh, to the fact that one of the characters is called Tim Sims. Tim Sims, yeah. (laughs) I love that. Tim Sims is not Australian but it's so a part of the culture that we stole. It's great. <laughs> Why, what is Tim Sims? Is it like a cultural reference? Or? Uh, it's Dim Sims, which is uh, a Chinese role. I think it's Chinese. It's Chinese role. And uh, it was imported from China to Australia. And it's big here. Oh, I didn't know that. So that's a new thing I didn't know about my favourite film. I just thought it was a silly name because it's, you know, illustrative and it just doesn't sound real because that's the name she makes up, doesn't she, for the, the fake boyfriend. It's perfect. It's, or the fake fiance. It might be a coincidence, but I made that connection. It was great. No, it sounds like it was deliberate because that makes it even funnier. It is a very, that sounds like a very Australian kind of joke to make. So. <laughs> These guys are totally bogans. <laughs> I know that word from uh, Catherine Kim, yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, amazing. <laughs> and the fact that she isn't just going upper class, but it's just like, I'm just going to move to Sydney and get a job at a video store, I think. Yeah. So oh, that's- that took me back. That was, that was nostalgic. Video stores, remember them? <laughs> uh, I have um, a secondhand video store. And I got this bag of like 20 DVDs for like $20. Mm-hmm. And that, that's why yeah, other video stores are just failing because you can just go there and get like mm. all the DVDs. Oh yeah, same things happening here, but it's just the way things are going, unfortunately. The, uh, I don't mind uh, that as long as I can find the movie. Mm-hmm. If I can't find the movie on, every time I can't find a movie on like Google or any of the streaming services, the two that I use, I'm just like, oh no, it's the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> yeah, it is annoying. I mean, because we on Beyond the Box set just did our Oscar season, me and Harry tried to watch every Oscar film. And it's so hard now because just how, I mean, in some ways it's easier because there are ways you can find films, you know, but um, to, to watch them legally and, and, you know, in the way they're intended as we watch, watch, which I prefer to do, it is hard. Like they don't make it easy for you. You know, if, if there's no DVD out, you know, and, and you can't find, especially if it's kind of obscure, you know, if it's not on a streaming service, where do you go? How do you find it? I have an app um, called Just Watch, which uh-huh. is uh, with the app Just Watch, you select everything that you use. So the Google Play Store, the Apple Store. Uh, I have Stan, which is an Australian streaming service, and Netflix. And it's just like, okay, uh, these are available on these ones, or they're not available anywhere. And then you have to buy the baby off eBay. Oh, okay, that's interesting. That might be a useful tool. But anyway, I guess we should get back to Muriel's wedding. Um, 
I love Australian comedy. Like, this is my favorite, but I also love, I'm a huge fan of Priscilla, Queen of the Deserts. I'm a huge fan of, uh, what are the other ones I've seen? Uh, we recently watched The Dressmaker. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that one, Kate, uh, with Kate Winslet. I, have, I haven't, but that didn't stop me from finding a sequel to it. And it, well, yeah, actually, yeah, we read it out. It's coming out this Friday. So yeah, thank you for that. Because uh, not many people have seen it at all. But I love that. There's, there's, some, there's others as well I'm forgetting now with the, the Australian comedies. Uh, I recently watched The Castle as well for a future episode. Have you ever seen The Castle? No, I don't watch many Australian movies or TV shows. I mainly watch British stuff. It's always swapped. Uh, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I mean, why do you think, what do you think Australian comedy is? What do you think makes Australian comedy different from, say, British comedy or American comedy? Um, understanding of the culture that it's a part of. And uh, we take the piss a lot. Uh, we don't trust our government at all because, like, we have three prime ministers in about five minutes. <laughs> um, so people just take the piss out of Australian culture and stuff. Uh, plus, the way Australian movies get made is either an indie project or you get money from the government, like ABC is owned by um, a section of the government and they pay to get movies made. So a movie has to be about something or you have to raise the money yourself, which is a terrible way to make movies. But mm-hmm. sometimes you get some indie hits like uh, Babadook. Babadook, yes, that's a great film. Really, really good, yeah. Uh, I don't know how this one got made, but it feels like an indie movie. Like this, oh, totally, yeah. This group of people found, um, found the money, uh, a beach house for like uh, five days and made their movie. Mm. Yeah, because Tony Collette, I don't think anyone in this movie was particularly famous when it came out. Maybe Bill Hunter maybe was the most successful, at least in Australia, the guy who played the dad, I think. But uh, Tony Collette and Rachel, Rachel Griffiths, these are, this is kind of their breakout film, so... It's 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 great for that because obviously they've both gone on to such success since. But like, this is a real vehicle for them. So yeah, I imagine it was kind of quite a low budget production. Uh, one of the things that I uh, really like is uh, the her selling cosmetics. Mm-hmm. I don't know how big that is everywhere else, but in Australia, you can't go five minutes without someone trying to sell you cosmetics in some sort of pyramid scheme, mm-hmm. which is amazing. And it's like I gave her. She paid, uh, I don't know the prices, but she paid $120 for the cosmetics. She sells them for $150 and she makes $30. Yeah. She's such a con. (laughs) Well, she's conning a lot of people in this film. That is kind of a running theme that she's kind of a liar. So um, I enjoyed enjoyed that. That was kind of fun. It's interesting. I don't know what... I know that she learns to be more confident, but I don't know if she learned to stop lying. No, I think she did. At the very end, I think her mum's death, spoiler alert, sorry if anyone's not seen the film, but you know, that's what you get. Um, I think there's a very touching scene at the end. She, she, does, she marries the, um, the swimmer, the South African swimmer, and then her mum passes away. Um, who's, her mum has just been kind of ignored for, by the whole family, kind of abused by the family for the whole film. It's very sad. She, she kills herself at the end. Um, and then I think that, that makes Muriel wake up because then she she does leave the swimmer and she says, you know, I've got to stop lying because if I keep doing it, I'm going to stop realizing I'm doing it, which I thought was a very kind of powerful sentiment. Um, so I, I think at the end she does learn and that's why she re- goes back to being Muriel and not Mariel and she goes back to Rhonda 
And so I think she does learn at the end, but it definitely takes her some time. It, it's a very um, nice character arc. And she goes to her awful, terrible, no good um, uh, dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have written my notes. Where is it? Uh, I hate everyone, especially Bill. <laughs> well, he's not a very nice man. No, not. And at the end, mm. she's like, well, the dad, I'm not going to stick around and take care of the kids. You do it. Yeah, which is the right thing. And I mean, it's funny because I've only seen like the, the very famous Australian films like Muriel's Wedding, like uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And it seems like Bill Hunter's in all of them. He seems, he seems like he's in all the Australian films. He seems oh, yeah. to be real. Yeah. He pops up. He, um, he pops up uh, in everything. He's like, um, I don't know if there's a British equivalent. It's just like, oh, it's oh. this guy. He's an, oh, it's that. Oh, yeah. oh, totally, yeah. I guess maybe like Alan Rickman, he used to be in everything, you know. Like there's certain people who just pop up and you're like, oh, I like this person. So, yeah. Or maybe Jim Broadbent. Maybe it was like the Australian Jim Broadbent. I don't know. But I thought he was very good because, yeah, the character's not particularly likable at all. He's kind of a monster. But again, at the, the thing about this film is even at the end, he, he does get a little moment of sympathy when you realise that, okay, he's not been a nice man, but he's... Like I said, he reaps what he sows at the end. He's left with nothing. His, his girlfriend or mistress leaves him. His wife is dead. His political, his political career is in tatters. And he's going to have to be unemployed and raise his kids. So he does have that slight moment of warmth with Muriel at the end, which I, pre- I, like, I, I, like, I like that. I like that it gave him a little bit of redemption, even if it was just a tiny bit. The fact that he's been investigated and he's like, I didn't take bribes, just donations. Yeah, <laughs> which is so relevant today. Like, God, <laughs> nothing has changed. Everything is um, syndrical or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I, the, uh, the fact that she moves to the beach and there's a whole beach scene. You can't go five minutes in an Australian movie without the fucking beach. <laughs> and that's a stereotype that um, is true. I live by a lake and mm-hmm. uh, in my school for sports day, we did swimming. One of the choices uh-huh. was swimming. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, that sounds Australian. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, it's what you're known for, isn't it? So. Uh-huh. Which is fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Such a fun movie. It is. It is fun. I mean, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I didn't like anyone, but then I realized, oh, I'm not supposed to. Not even Muriel? Or, 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 or middle, Towards the end, I did. And I mm-hmm. liked her best friend, and Muriel grew on me as she started developing. But towards the start, I'm like, everyone is awful. And then I realized that's the start of the character arc. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. There's definitely, you know, she's definitely a little bit am- amoral at the, at the beginning. And I think it's a testament to Tony Collette's performance that you still, you know, can find something to like in her. Because if it was another actress, you might just hate her. You might just, or you might just laugh at her. You'd either think she was pathetic or she was terrible. But I think Tony Collette manages to show you that there's, there's a person under there who really is just hurting and just wants, just wants some kind of relationships, you know? So again, I think that's what I was, I was kind of drawn to her performance. Definitely. It is. I think she should have won an Oscar. I really think that she was really underrated for this film. And to this day, she's a very underrated actress. I think she always does such good work and she so rarely gets recognized for it. So big Tony Clare fan here. I can tell. Mm. Um, is this your favorite role of hers? Sorry? Is this your favorite role that she's done? I think it, well, it's my favorite film, so I guess it would have to be. Um, but I've liked her in so many things. Um, I thought this this year in Hereditary, that's got that's going to be up there for me. Have you seen Hereditary yet? No. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like that. Like, that was just the end when it fell apart. 
Mm, it did get silly, but I appreciate the fact that it had like the balls to get as silly as it did. Um, but yeah, I mean, talk about the polar opposite of Muriel's wedding. Like that film is not funny. You know, it's, it's not intentionally funny at all. It, it's it's so disturbing, but she's fantastic. And then you know, in the Sixth Sense, she's amazing. In the Way Way Back, a film we did recently, she's really good. Little Miss Sunshine. She's just got the hours as well. She's in one scene in the hours, but she just kind of does this perfect supporting term where in one scene she, she creates this whole character who's amazing. So, I mean, I could just turn this into a Tony Collette fanboy podcast, which I won't do, but yeah, I, I think she's fantastic. Yeah. But this is my favourite because it's my favourite film and she's my favourite actress, so it all comes together nicely. That's fantastic. With um, the scene in Hereditary where the, the boy's driving and he's on drugs and the girl's choking and she goes mm-hmm. out the window and... Ugh. It's such a great build-up of tension. And I love mm-hmm. the fact that when she loses her head, which is just fucked, it, the tension doesn't go away because all the sound cuts out. We just stick on the, on the brother's face and he goes to bed and he just stays awake throughout the entire night and it's all just fucked. Oh, and talk about the most, like, holy fuck film moment of last year. I, yeah that was so disturbing like that that will that is a scene that's going to stay with me i've not i've not quite been ready to rewatch it yet i think i'll probably get there soon but yeah that scene was i'm so glad i didn't know that was coming because it was such a great cinema moment because i thought the film was going to go in such a different direction and then suddenly all bets were off so that was incredible i i'd only have made it so there wasn't any demon and it was just tragedy and mm. like babadook it's the manifestation of depression or anxiety or whatever. Yeah, that's fair. I think the ending is definitely quite divisive and it does get quite silly, but you know, I appreciate the, I like weird films. I like films that aren't, that aren't afraid to get weird and aren't afraid that people might laugh at them. So I, I kind of respect what I did, even though I agree, maybe it would have been better to kind of keep things a little bit more grounded in the real world. I, with Muriel's wedding, I like the fact that, um, I like her terrible date. How she's, she's, <laughs> <laughs> It's just so stupid because she um, is getting tickled and she can't stop laughing. And the, <laughs> the walls are so thin, uh, people next door burst in. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are two guys with um, with uh, her best friend. Oh, Ronda's having a, free, a full-on freeway, yeah. Yeah. And they're just running in, butt naked. And... <laughs> Uh, tackle them to the ground. It's great. It's yeah. great. And then immediately she gets cancer randomly without warning. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's it's a big kind of gear shift in terms of the, what the story of the film is. But yeah, I felt I felt sorry for her Muriel's date in that scene. He seemed like a lovely man. Like, he, yeah, they, they, were, they were a bit awkward, but you know, I felt like if it hadn't gone down the way it had, they could have. I kind of thought the film might end with the, when I first watched it. I think I was a little disappointed it didn't end with them getting together, but then I realised that that's not really the point. It's not about her finding a romantic partner in, in, in the end. So, well, he seemed like a nice enough guy. And it's funny when the two, the two guys that Rhonda's been banging just wrestling, misunderstand the situation and just like dive on top of him and he's just screaming and Muriel can't stop laughing and it's just totally chaotic. It's fun. Very, very funny set piece. It's so good. And the juxtaposition for the, what happens after that the cancer mm. and her going into the wheelchair and having to do rehab and everything else is just, it's great. It's just like, we're doing this now. And, and now we're doing this and this is happening. 
Yeah, it's a. I think it's a hard thing to balance comedy and drama in one film. Sometimes it can really feel like the tone can be really awkward. I've, I've, me and Harry have seen a lot of films where we've talked about like the jarring tonal shifts where films go from one tone to another. Whereas this film does have it does have comedy and drama in quite heightened situations, but. I feel like it all feels like it's all part of the same universe. So I feel like this film pulls... And I think that's, again, something Australians do very well. A lot of the Australian films that I really like, they do that same thing. They have, you know, even Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, it's very silly, but it also does have some very touching little moments in it. So Here's, here's a random question that I, mm-hmm. that I really like. If you could sum up your life in one ABBA song... Ooh, oh, I didn't prepare for that one. Let me think. What one ABBA song defines my life? Uh, it's not money, money, money. Sadly, um, on set, depending on the mood, sometimes it's gimme, gimme, gimme a man after midnight. You know. Um, um, oh God, it really depends. I mean, there's an. I feel like there's an Abba song for every mood you're in. So, just one. <laughs> I mean, I guess like I feel like it have to. It would have to be Dancing Queen in some ways, just because that's like the ultimate. You know, I'm not saying I am a Dancing Queen, but like I just think it's got. It's got. <laughs> an uplifting well sometimes i am but it's just such a perfectly crafted it's just got pure joy and a little bit of silliness and when i'm I'm always happiest when i'm being a little bit silly which is a lot so maybe dancing queen or i don't know yeah what about you do you have one uh mine is give me a man after midnight give me give me give me good i mean good choice strong choice yeah (laughs) it's a declaration of everything i want in life yeah well exactly yeah Oh, I just wrote, her father sucks. I really hated him throughout the entire movie. If he's going to be redeemed, it'd have to be in the sequel that I assume you're going to write. Sorry? If, if he, her father gets redeemed, I assume it's going to be in the sequel that you're going to write. Oh, yeah. Well, um, it's the thing we've talked about it on, doing on Beyond the Box set, and I've kind of always been a bit resistant because it's, I like it so much. I don't, know, I don't know how I'd be able to make fun of it. And a lot of, obviously, a lot of Beyond the Box set is kind of taking the piss a little bit. I'm sure we will do it at some point because I, it's too good not to. And there are so many ways you could go with it. So I think we'll, we'll save it for a special occasion and we will do it. But I've been slightly resisting it a little bit just because I, I love it so much. It's, sometimes it's hard to be objective about things when you love them that much. So, But one day, one day. My favourite part of... Um, I look forward to it. My favourite part, uh, my favourite line is when the... Um, they're like, okay, you're going to pretend to marry this swimmer for reasons mm-hmm. I missed. Um, and do you think you can lie? And <laughs> I was like, I think she can lie. Yeah, I think I could. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's got that great deadpan. Yeah, that, that's that very deadpan kind of humor. Uh, she marries the swimmer because he needs a green card because he wants to, he's South African, but he wants to swim for Australia in the Olympics. So he needs to have Australian citizenship. And he, she does it for the money. He gives her $10,000. He pays her $10,000. And also because all she's ever wanted is to be married to a, be- a good-looking man because she thinks that's going to make her happy and show up all of her old friends. Uh, but then obviously it happens for her. She gets the money, she gets the man, and she realizes it doesn't fulfill her at all. So that's why that happens. And she also got a nice house. She did get a nice house out of it, yeah. I mean, he did let her keep the money, which I thought was very generous since she was married to him for all of, like, three days. <laughs> I don't know how green cards work. Maybe that works. Maybe, yeah. Uh, <laughs> someone's going to be investigated like oh so you married got your green card and then three days later got a divorce the sequel's yeah. just going to be a courtroom drama oh totally yeah well yeah I mean I think there's a at the very end when she go, when Muriel goes home to collect Ronda and she you know, meets up with all the bitches um, 
and they ask her about her husband and she says, oh, we split up. And one of them kind of whispers, I knew it wouldn't last. So obviously it's, you know, everyone knows. Everyone knows what's going on, really. (laughs) But the girl who plays... Sorry. All of her friends except for Rhonda are just bad, awful, no good, and I hate all of them. But they're supposed to be. And that's... There's a joy in, like capturing the terribleness of those people. Like I love at the end, the girl who plays the main, the main bitch. Um, I should know her name. I've seen it. Uh, Tanya, Tanya, uh, very Australian name, I think. Uh, when she goes, you can't speak to me like that. I'm married. I'm beautiful. And then she kind of holds her face in a way that she looks so unattractive and it's great. <laughs> I, oh, this is getting better the more I talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact, uh, that uh, uh, <laughs> this is so stupid. They're, um, they're like, stop complaining about your problems, even though she didn't complain at all. It's just <laughs> like they were complaining the entire thing, and she's like, I don't think I will. And she's like, stop being so selfish. Let us be <laughs> selfish. Yes. You've got no dignity, Muriel. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line where they're all just wearing these ridiculous hats and like um, ridiculous like hula outfits. <laughs> you got this, no dignity. This is a movie of big hats and big hair. Well, you can see why I like it. I mean, talk about you know, there's not really a lot of wigs for wig watch, but it's certainly like a very me friendly movie in terms of the way it looks. Like you know, lots of great costumes, lots of costume changes and makeovers, and you know, wedding dresses. This does seem like the kind of movie that who's. It would be your favourite if in your podcast you have a segment called Wig Watch. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, it's, it's so fun. Uh, when was the first time you saw it? You know, I can't remember. I can't remember a time when it hasn't been in my life. It's on British TV all the time. It's one of those films where they just show it like in the evening or in the middle of the night or on some obscure channel. It's always on. So I must have just seen it on TV because I didn't go to the cinema because I'm not, I'm not that old. I think it came out in like 1993, 94. So I would have been maybe eight years old. So I don't think my parents would have taken me to see that. Um, so yeah, I must have seen it on TV when I was about maybe 10, 11, 12. Um, and it, I, it's just one that really stayed with me. And I just kept going back to over and over and over again. And the older I got, the more it meant to me, you know, in terms of, like I said, you know, really relating to the character and, you know, that feeling of, being a bit of an outsider and pop music being an escape and all that kind of stuff. So it just was really one of the most important films, even though it's, I know it's only a silly comedy, but in, in many ways it's one of the most important films in my life just for me, because it's just, it just meant a lot to me. And, you know, it made me feel kind of, it made me feel things. It made me feel like, you know, I could see a lot of myself in Muriel, even though I'm not a compulsive liar who's desperate to get married. But. <laughs> or am I? <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> um, What's your favourite Australian um, just uh, saying or word? Oh, uh, God, that's good. Oh, that's good. Uh, let me think. I want to get this right because there's been some... And Bogan is... It does make me laugh. Uh, I feel just everything Kath and Kim said. I don't know how much that reflects real Australia or if it's just like a big parody, but like so many of the lines that they deliver in that show are just so funny to me. Like, um, pa- parody comes from somewhere and... Uh, I haven't watched Kath and Kim in ages, but they might be like the classic Bogan uh, people. But I have to double check that. Mm. But I, I think, yeah, I think we'd call them chavs in the the equivalent in the UK. I mean, I don't like the word very much. It's a bit classist, but 
I think, yeah, that, that kind of, I think the kind of people they're portraying, would it, the British equivalent would be, probably be called chavs, I think. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, just, yeah. The way with language, the way with Australians seem to have a, a way with words, it's very blunt, it's very direct, that I just find really entertaining. My favourite thing, uh, we have an, an interview uh, news show called uh, The Project, mm-hmm. uh, which is very le- uh, which is left-wing, and um, my favourite thing that a guest has ever said on that show is that uh, when you go on a show like this, you're given a list of words that you're not allowed to say. And usually the list is like two pages or like 20 words or something. And with this, it's two words. It's two swear words that you're not allowed to say on Australian television. Mm-hmm. And other than that, you're pretty much good. Hilarious. <laughs> a- yeah, I guess that's, I get that sense a lot when I see Australians talking. They seem to be very upfront and unfiltered, which I, I really like. So. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> the fact that, the fact that um, can't can be a term of endearment. Yes, uh, yeah, that, that's you can get away with that here. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you still can't say that uh, on uh, Australian television. That's one of the two ones that you can't say. Yeah, but, I wouldn't. I'd be surprised if I saw it in Neighbours. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, we have like ratings for yeah. um, that, but we don't have. We have R. But you have to be like ultra violent for R. Mm. I mean, Deadpool got an R in America, but in Australia it got an MA. Mm-hmm. So we have GPG, MMA, and R. Um, and in order to get an R, you have to be like ultra violent, mm-hmm. like extreme violence and very graphic, like a uh, green room. Have you seen green room? Uh, no, I don't think I have. It's great. Um, Patrick Stewart, I think, plays a neo-Nazi. And oh, wow. What, from, from Star Trek? Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. that's going on the list. <laughs> and um, he, he plays a neo-Nazi, and a detective comes in undercover to this terrible, uh, this terrible uh, place. It's like uh, Black Klansman, except not as funny and not as satirical. Mm-hmm. It's uh, okay. that FBI going undercover as a neo-Nazi, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know I've never heard of that, but uh, I'll look out for it. Maybe, maybe it's maybe it'll go on the list. We'll be on the box set someday. Oh, good luck writing a sequel to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with with Australia, uh, you watch a lot of Australian movies. Mm-hmm. Can you tell um, when it was made? for like a worldwide audience and when it wasn't? It's interesting because I think the Australian films that I've seen that have done the best or that have entertained me the most are the ones that seem really specific as if they, as if they weren't really made with an international audience in mind, but they just happen to, I think, I think the Australian, if an Australian film tried to be, you know, a worldwide thing, I think it might, difficult i think for me like the comedy is so specific but that's what's so great about it so like muriel's wedding was a was a big hit it was a hit all over the world but it doesn't feel like a film that was made like with the idea that it was going to make a hundred million dollars at the box office or anything you know it feels like it's a small story you know with, with unknown actors making jokes that are very specific to australia like you know like the tim sims joke that to this even though i've seen it a hundred times i didn't even realize was a reference to something so I don't know. I think that's what I think that's a, a reason that I like Australian films. The ones that I do like is that they 
they're so proudly Australian and they don't feel the need to explain everything to you, but that's what makes it entertaining. So I don't know. The um, worst Australian movies are the ones that are made by Americans about mm. Australia. Yeah. It's just, they're just always bad. Can you think of an example? Kangaroo Jack. Have you seen Kangaroo Jack? Oh, I've, not, I've not. Is that, who's in that? No one. It doesn't matter. No one. Okay. Doesn't, who cares? <laughs> it never happened. I never speak of it again. No, let's speak of it right now. It's fucking mm-hmm. great because they had like an R rated or MA rated or whatever. They had a mature, well, I say mature. They had an adult or teen centric uh, comedy mm-hmm. uh, that had one scene with a kangaroo in it where the kangaroo, mm-hmm. uh, they put uh, money in a jacket and put on the kangaroo and the kangaroo like fucks off. And then uh, the, the entire plot is them chasing down the stupid kangaroo it has nothing to do with the rest of the plot. And then they well, went to test screenings. Uh, I hate this movie. And the um, test screenings were like, this movie is terrible. Literally everything about it is shit, except that it had a kangaroo in it. Uh, <laughs> and so what Warner Brothers did, they took that information and they said, okay, this movie is garbage. It's going to make no money at the box office at all. Here's what you're going to do. We're going to give you another $100 million. You're going to add one dream sequence where the kangaroo talks so that we can... Oh, my God. And then we're going to market this uh, M or MA, I forget which, uh, movie to eight-year-olds. That sounds like a disaster. It was, but it also made a lot of money. Oh, it did, really? Okay. Uh So it worked. It made so much money. And do you know what all the parents did when they realized that there was more focus on like a soft core sex scene <laughs> than, a, than the stupid talking kangaroo that isn't in it? They can well, a lot. I'm, I'm not surprised. <laughs> and it, everyone hates it. And every Australian kid has seen it at least three times because the only thing they remember is that it had a kangaroo in it for five minutes. Well, I'm, I'm, I've got, I can't lie, I'm intrigued. Like, I'm going to be looking that up after this podcast. Like. There's a post-credit scene where the kangaroo complains about the fact that the kangaroo wasn't in it much. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Why wasn't the kangaroo in it much? Why was there these <laughs> shitty story about these, these bomb fucks I don't care anything about? I want the fucking talking kangaroo. The Who doesn't? With the talking kangaroo. That's what you promised. He was rapping in glasses. <laughs> sunglasses and a stupid jacket <laughs> well that's, that film sounds amazing I'm not going to lie but, um, there was, there was but a, yeah I think there was yeah. a sequel to it that was animated which is like yeah uh-huh. that's what you should have been a stupid mm-hmm. animated movie with a talking kangaroo uh, I'm disappointed it's animated that takes it off the off our list um, Sorry. but yeah I think it's, oh well but yeah, even when I think of like stuff like Kath and Kim, like that's so specifically Australian. Like the references are so Australian. But even though I don't understand a word they're saying half the time, it's still really <laughs> funny to me. And that's yeah, especially when they have the uh, the other characters they play, the shop assistants who are really posh. I think the supposed to be really posh. The ones who are like, oh, do you want to throw for your catch? There's got this ridiculous pronunciation, which really cracks me up. So the, they, it's a it's a great satire of like all the class systems in Australia and mm-hmm. the fact that they exist and no one wants to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's great. Mm. Yeah. I love that show. I haven't watched them in ages. I should, 
I should watch some more episodes of it. Yeah, I'm due to revisit it. It's been a couple of years. I think it's time. I think the first couple of seasons were the best and then it went a bit downhill, but that always happens. Can you um, think of a show where it started off bad and then just got better as it went along? Ooh, good question. There's got to be a couple. Oh, Parks and Recreation. That started, not bad, but it started kind of average, as like an average The Office ripoff, and then it kind of found its own feet in a couple of seasons. So I think that definitely is a show that got better. Maybe it peaked around the middle, the free, season three, four mark, and then it drifted a bit towards the end, but it definitely didn't start at its best. So sometimes a TV show takes its time to find its feet a little bit, I think, and sometimes that's better. So, yeah. For me, it was Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, that's a good pick too. You're right. Yeah, definitely. Because I watched like season three to five of that show. Mm -hmm. They're the best seasons. But season one, if you watch season one of Star Trek PNG, you'll be like, how did this not get cancelled? I think Deep Space Nine is the same. The early seasons of Deep Space Nine are boring. And then once the war kicks in, it gets pretty pretty good. So I think Star Trek just takes its time. Uh, Deep Space Nine I like because I love all the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was great because, because what they said was, okay, so we have all this political drama that we can do off to the side while TNG is still on. And then mm-hmm. when, T- when TNG got cancelled and they could bring in new stuff, they didn't have to tie in as much. Then it really took off and it was great. Yeah. I always say you can tell whether it's going to be a good episode of Deep Space Nine or not, depending on how fat and bald Captain Sisko is. <laughs> the fatter and bolder Cisco looks, the better the episode's going to be because you know, the show got better as it went along. <laughs> uh, it had my favourite episode of uh, television in that show where, oh, wow. um, where uh, Cisco's son is an old man. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, uh, my dad disappeared in a time wormhole vortex thingamabob sci-fi bullshit. Um, and I'm going to, uh, and then after we get all this build up, his dad comes back and he's taking poison. And he's I remember like, this. Yeah, I did see that episode. It's been a long time, but I do remember that, so that storyline. He basically mm. kills himself in order to, um, get his dad back to the, um, back to the past where it all started so that he could jump out of the way of the thing Mm -hmm. and even though that didn't happen there's uh he still has those memories and it's amazingly dark okay yes sometimes star trek was very good at those kind of high concept kind of things definitely so we watched that one on netflix so there's also a great one with uh the engineer um, o'brien yeah o'brien um where he was in prison for five minutes but it felt like mm. a life sentence. Oh, I do remember that one, yeah. But it's from post-traumatic stress disorder. It's just the best. It's so dark. Mm-hmm. He has to go to counselling, and he tries to commit suicide after he is abusive to his kid. And he's like, oh, this is fucked. Yeah, it gets dark sometimes in Star Trek. Especially, I think Deep Space Nine definitely was the darkest Star Trek season. It definitely went to darker places than the other ones did. When people say that I don't like uh, Star Trek Discovery because it's not real Star Trek. And I'm like, it went from uh, women in miniskirts and Kirk punching aliens to <laughs> talks about depression and all this stuff. So no one season series of Star Trek is like another one. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's what makes it 
has made it last as long as it has because it keeps evolving and changing. Um, here's something that I... Uh, have you seen Padmavati? Seen what, sorry? Padmavati. Padmavati. doesn't ring a bell. It's a, it's a Bollywood movie. And I oh, haven't no. seen all of it. But I saw a clip mm. on YouTube of the wedding in it where it's just a big musical number and it's like crazy okay. occasions. It's mm-hmm. that level of wedding. Where, like, oh, okay. Dancing and it's really, really great. And uh, I wanted to watch that entire movie. But they won't sell it. So... Mm. It's disappointing. I got a pirated <laughs> copy, but I couldn't find it. What's your favorite wedding? Oh, uh, on, on film? Like, I can't really think. Because the wedding in Muriel's wedding, while hilarious, isn't really the... I know, it's not really the highlight of the film. Uh, God, what other famous weddings are there in films? I can't even think now. It's a hard question. There's not as many as you'd think, but normally the wedding happens like after the film, like, you know, if it's a, a rom-com. Maybe The Graduates when... Um, what one? The Graduates, when Dustin Hoffman's like banging on the glass, that's pretty good. It's kind of classic. The, the reason I love that one is that they run off uh, from that wedding and then they're in the bus and then it's just a, a long shot of them mm. just realising, oh, fuck, we may have made a mistake. <laughs> yeah, I like that film. It's, 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 it stands up really well. Uh, in uh, The Princess Bride, which is just my favourite movie, they skip the wedding. I think, mm-hmm. like, they have, like, one shot. They have the, the uh, wedding where she marry, she, where she almost marries a bad guy, and he goes, marriage brings mm-hmm. us yeah. together today. <laughs> that was oh, actually, I've just remembered, my favourite wedding is actually the wedding in The Little Mermaid, of course, when um, Prince Eric is marrying the sea witch in disguise, and then Ariel and all the, the creatures from the sea jump in and, like, save the day and, you know, fight off them. You know the the all all the all the, the sea the seagull attacks Ursula and you know the dog bites her and then Ariel gets her voice back and then Ursula takes her down into the bottom of the sea. It's great. That that's a high drama, especially the way the priest is just continuing to read the vows throughout the whole thing, oblivious <laughs> to the fact that there's a full-on animal riot happening on the boat. I, what we have determined, ladies and gentlemen, is that the only weddings that we like are the ones that are ruined. Yes, definitely. Otherwise, we're at the tension. You know. You ruin the wedding, then we get it. Uh, mm-hmm. My favorite wedding that isn't ruined uh, by outside forces or isn't mm-hmm. under distress is in Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's in one of the sequels where uh, they're sword fighting zombies and it's like, You want to get married? It's like, What now? We're in the middle of a fight. <laughs> it's like, Yeah. <laughs> and then you have the captain over there and he's also fighting. And they're like, can you marry us? It's like, really? Yeah, all right, fine. And they they just see the entire thing as they're fighting the bad guys. It's great. That is really funny. That's good. I don't even remember if I liked that entire movie, but if that scene's in it, it's getting made plus. Yeah, I can't remember. That's definitely not the first one. I think the first one's the only one I know very well. I've seen a couple of different ones, but they didn't really stay in my memory very much. The sequels were what everyone expected the first one to be. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, pretty much. But any scene where you're sword fighting while getting married is at least worth watching. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, what movie characters would you like to attend the wedding of? Oh god, you hit me with all these hard questions. I should have time to think about them. Um, I like putting you on the spot. You're like, do you want me to prepare? I'm like, no, don't. 
definitely no, definitely. no, no. You've got to think fast, yeah, in this game. Oh, character I'd like to be at the wedding of. They oh, don't have it's to be um, married on screen, but they mm-hmm. have to be married or were going to get married at the end of the movie. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, it's got to be. It's got to be a who put on a really fabulous wedding. Let me think. Uh, thinking of some of my other favorite films, like. Uh, God, it's a hard question. It really is. Uh, God, I'm drawing a complete blank. Who would I want to see get married? Uh, maybe like a superhero wedding. They'd be fun. Like, you know, some shit would go down. So, what superhero characters are? They never really get betrothed, though, do they? Like. I'd like to see. I'd be, like to see, be at the wedding of one of Batman or James Bond's girlfriends who disappears in between the movies. You know, like <laughs> you know how like in one movie they're in love, and then the next movie that girl's just disappeared forever. I want to be at the wedding. Like, at what point does that does it all break down? I want to see. I want, I want to see what happens. Do all the other Bond girls from the previous movies come running in and try and save her? Is it like does anyone here object to this here wedding? And then she does. And, and then Alice and Ursula Andress run in and like, don't do it. He's a he's a scoundrel. <laughs> but it's like. I do, and then he just has machine guns, and then they have to machine gun their way out and jump off. Oh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, they're both like spies. Oh no, even yeah. better, spy kids. Mm-hmm. Because they get good. and then they parachute away, on, and <laughs> down, they attack, and then they parachute away down to like speedboats, and they have his and her speedboats, mm-hmm. and they, they just take off away from bad guys. That, was, that would be hilarious. I love yeah. it. That's, it's it's so very good. Silly. It is great. I've just thought of another one. That actually, my my actual my final answer is: I would like to go to the wedding of uh, Val and whatever Clister Flockhart's character was called in the Birdcage, because yeah. I don't care about those characters. Because he was awful. She was nice enough. But how many drag queens are at that wedding? That's oh, my kind of wedding. Go yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A wedding, a wedding with featuring Robin Williams and Nathan Lane and a whole bunch of drag queens. That's my kind of wedding. And Diane Weist. Is, that's my kind of wedding. I didn't know there could be a correct answer, but you found it. You found the mm-hmm. correct answer. It took a little time, but I got there. Yeah. Ones with Robin Williams and a bunch of drag queens. Yep. I was going to go for the running Crazy Rich Asians, because even though <laughs> I don't care much about those characters, that wedding looks amazing and I want to eat whatever's on those plates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <coughs> you've watched this 30 times 40 times yeah maybe more I, I've genuinely lost counts it's at least a couple of times a year double feature this movie and another movie ooh okay so it's got to be another movie I mean I've done this before I've done like if I ever have like a movie marathon I always put this at the end as like my last one just to give me a you know finish on our feel good high so it's been, it's been paired with many films for me over the years, uh, but let me think. I mean, last time I did a double-built feature of it, uh, it, it me, and, me and Harry had a marathon, and we watched this and Showgirls, <laughs> which I loved. Um, I think that was my birthday a couple of years ago. Uh, yes, yeah, so we did that and Showgirls. That was fun. That was good. just good, uh, you know, two very different but very silly films. Actually, I think... Maybe I'd make it an Australian one too, and I would do it with Priscilla Queen of the Desert because they're maybe my two favorite Australian films, and they're both very funny in very similar ways. So, yeah, I think this and Priscilla is an obvious double feature. Um, I got Priscilla Queen of the Desert and The Birdcage in a two-disc double pack, and I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. Of course, if you, if you like one of those films, you're gonna like the other one. There's no question. Yep, and they're both about drag queens. There is an 
I, I have been trying to find this online so I can show literally everyone, but there's a, uh, I think it's an Amy uh, insurance ad, car insurance, and it's two drag queens that are stuck in the desert. And it's like, it's just mm-hmm. a parody of uh, Priscilla Queen of the Desert, where in the, if in the middle of their road trip, they just break down and have to call it for um, car insurance or whatever. <laughs> and Is I, that an Australian effort? Uh-huh. Okay. It, it's it's an Australian movie, so it got um, so it's an Australian advert, and I've been trying to find it online, but I can't anywhere. Okay, I'd be interested to see that. If you ever find it, let me know. It's it's just so weird and random, and I love it. <laughs> and when she uh, when Amy rescues them, uh, one of the drag queens says she's really the queen of the desert. In that stupid pun sort of way that I oh know. wink wink nudge nudge yeah. <laughs> thumbs <laughs> up to the camera as if they're leaning in and going get it because the movie <laughs> oh god <laughs> also I believe Bill Hunter's in both well he is Bill Hunter's in both movies so I guess that, that would officially be a Bill Hunter double feature because he plays Bernadette's love interest in Priscilla as well as being Muriel's mom in but Muriel's dad sorry Muriel's wedding so. He's really yeah, my it yeah. it's um I used to have a thing where I had uh where if an actor was in more than one movie, I'd imagine how the movies were linked so that they were mm-hmm. the same character <laughs> well, yeah, maybe after Muriel left him to look after the kids, he had a big old midlife crisis, married a Thai or Vietnamese bride, whatever that lady was from in that original in Priscilla, and moved out to the outback it It's very possible that they're the same character. Makes sense to me. I'm willing to bet that they are. Yeah, I like that idea. In fact, if we, if we ever do Muriel's Wedding on Beyond the Box set, that is my sequel. <laughs> Perfect. The Fervor Adventures of um, Bill... What, what's, what's his character in the film? Uh, he's Bill Heslop. The Fervor Adventures of Bill Heslop. <laughs> Which is just perfect. And Bill is such an Australian name. Oh, yeah. You can't I feel like Bill and Tanya are both very Australian names. <laughs> you can't go five minutes without uh, meeting a Bill. <laughs> I know um, I know 10 bills and I only know 5 people <laughs> wow <laughs> double it up <coughs> this was what did, heaps of fun I'm glad you enjoyed it I'm glad you enjoyed it even though I didn't like the characters at mm-hmm. first and most of the characters at the end I still like uh, I like uh, I like Muriel I liked her friend um and I liked all their adventures together. Yeah, exactly. It's a very good film about friendship, I think, and about how sometimes friendship is more important than romance, you know? So in that sense, yeah, I really, I think the relationship between those two in the film is very, very lovely and they have great chemistry and it's a lot of fun. And I love all the stuff where, I love the scene where Rhonda goes up to the bitch girls and she's like, I'm not alone. I'm with Muriel. You can shove your pineapple up your ass, Tanya, or something. It's just, it's just great. So it's and, a real, like, great moment. And I don't know if it was that... Uh, I like how <laughs> they just got married. And mm. uh, Tanya, I, I think it's Tanya. Tanya is like, I am so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I just got married. It's the honeymoon phase. <laughs> <laughs> She's just blowing her eyes out. She's great. Uh, it shows just how uh, being married does not give you a happy, happily ever after. 
This feels oh, like absolutely not. Something. Mm, a little bit, yeah. Probably is. It's kind of a parody of all those rom-coms that come out, especially, you know, used to come out, where, like, the happy ever after for the woman was that she got married. And this film's like, no, that's not necessarily what people should be looking for. So I think it's definitely, like, got something to say about, you know, rom- rom-coms in that way. It's a little bit subversive. And I like the fact that um, you have it that mural leaves for Sydney. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, cool, she's going to make it in the big city and do all this stuff. And it's like, no, she works in a DVD rental store and she looks exactly the same. Maybe she brushed her hair. I don't know. I can't tell. <laughs> but that, that was making it for her. You know, she, she got out of town. She made a friend. Like, that's all she needed. So. Yeah, but it's like, oh, cool, she's going to get out of town and be ultra successful and rich. It's like, no, she works mm-hmm. in a rental store and she yeah. um, still needs to grow up. Well, that's true. That's what the movie's about, I guess. It's like a, uh, the ending to any other rom-com happened halfway through. Yeah, which I think is really clever. It's very clever. Mm. And it, it just, it's an Australian version of the rom-com. It's like it's making fun of American rom-coms. It's like, mm. if this happened in Australia, like, it wouldn't work that way. Oh, yeah. If this was an American rom-com, she would have gone off to New York, got a fabulous job in PR or fashion or something, had a whole makeover, would have looked fantastic, would have had a really expensive apartment that she could inexplicably afford straight away. It would have been so much more glossy. So I love that this is an Australian take on that. It's just like, oh, no, she'd, she'd have to get a real job and it wouldn't be very glamorous. And, you know, things don't change overnight. If, if this was um, a satire of American culture, she'd try and get a in fashion which she did because mm. she had the makeup thing and I like how her dad she didn't really yeah like she didn't really like, use the makeup though well no but she had the makeup thing and if it was like and then she just ditched them ditched it immediately yeah and her dad was like see she's making all of this money from selling those stupid uh, makeup kits why don't you get a job and be like Muriel even though, like, five minutes ago, he was being like, you are literally the worst and I hate you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's not a good dad. No. He's a terrible father. <laughs> oh, we haven't talked about, like, what's your favourite quote from this film? Because there are a lot of them. I, I'm misremembering the quotes, but I really like it when, um, <laughs> like it when she just goes up and says, by the way, uh, Muriel saw them having sex on your wedding night or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she's just so uh, honest and brutal, and I love it because she hates. Them. Yeah, and she's like, <laughs> "Oh, you've really improved. You can be friends with us now." And, and she's like, "No, I hate you." <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she's what Muriel needs. She's somebody who doesn't need the approval of those horrible, stuck-up bitches. And once Muriel learns that, she's a lot happier. So, yeah, <laughs> I really like. Um, what my favorite lines? I really like the bit at the beginning when all the the bitches when you know when they're all being really mean to her and like they, they decide to like friend dump her, and um, so she's she's crying and then they're all like we're gonna tell her we're gonna tell her and then she, the one who's slightly less mean than all the others goes well wait a minute let her finish her orgasm because <laughs> she's got like a big cock. <laughs> Love that because she's got stupid drink and it's and then she's got like awkwardly finished like sipping this massive cocktail wait whilst the girls wait to tell her that they don't want to be friends with her anymore <laughs> and uh, i also like when they're at the wedding at the, at the wedding when ronda's obviously because of the cancer she's in a wheelchair and um i think tanya goes up to her and says like with all this like fake sympathy she's like you were so full of life and she goes i'm not dead brenda 
it's just the Rachel Griffiths delivery is so good that I'm not dead. It's just it just cracks me up. Uh, when she's when uh, Ron is like, I got to move in back in my parents, uh, and we're driving up to uh, my parents' house, and then uh, you think that Muriel's going to learn a lesson because she says you don't have to drive up to your parents' house. I bought you plane tickets. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a, it's, that's like her lowest moment. That's when she's like, oh my God, you've totally lost yourself. So yeah, but it's, 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 it is a good line. It's a good line. Uh, of course, the most famous quote from this film, the one that everyone says all the time, I don't know if you've heard it a lot, is um, you're terrible, Muriel. She is. Yeah. I feel like the actress, I don't know who, if she's in other things, the actress who keeps, the sister who keeps saying you're terrible, Muriel. She must hear that every day of her life. The actress. Yeah. Uh, actors, you gotta be, uh, you got to be prepared for something like that. Like people still yell Wilson to uh, to Tom Hanks, even though he's done like all the movies. That's got to be done so many things, and you still get associated with one line. <laughs> there was a, a, I don't know where he was, but there was a place where Tom Hanks was, where someone threw a volleyball with Wilson's face painted on it, and it was just like. <laughs> I'm so happy. It was so good. I think I saw that meme. Yeah, he got reunited with Wilson. <laughs> uh, it was really fun. Yeah. This was heaps of fun. I, yeah. I loved talking about this movie. I'm uh, glad. I'm really glad to introduce it to you. That's, that's what I want from this, um, from this podcast. Even though um, I've seen a lot of movies, I still haven't seen all of them. And if I can get introduced to someone's favorite movie, then that's just... Top notch. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Well, it was a pleasure to share it with you. It was. Now, quick as you like, where can the good people find you? Great. Okay, good question. So, yeah, if you've enjoyed listening to me on this this podcast, then you can find my podcast that I do with my good friend, Harry. It's called Beyond the Box Set. Um, Daniel is a big friend of the show and supporter, which we very much appreciate. Um, He's been on a couple of episodes, and I'm sure more in the future. Um, So... Beyond the Box Set, you can find us at beyondtheboxset.com. Oh, I guess I should talk about what the podcast it I does. I that would be uh, this is, Yeah, Harry does this bit, you see. This is why I'm, I don't do this bit. Um, so on Beyond the Box Set, each week we take a classic film that has never had a prequel, sequel, or a spin-off. So a classic standalone movie like Titanic or Gladiator or, uh, or oh God, I'm drawing a blank, like Titanic or Gladiator <laughs> or <laughs> Muriel's Wedding or like Muriel's Wedding. We've not done it yet, yeah. but one day we will. And we individually, we, we watch the film and then we compete to come up with silly prequel, sequel or spin-off ideas to bring that film back to the big screen. Most of the time, they are ridiculous and completely unfilmable. But, you know, it's a, it, it, t- it teaches us a lot about the original film and it's a good creative exercise and we have a lot of fun along. That. So if you think that sounds like a good concept, then please do check us out. You can find us on all good podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play and Spotify. Just search Beyond the Box Set. Our website is Beyond the Box Set. Dot com and we're on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Beyond the Box Set or at Beyond the Box Set on Twitter. And that's it. That's All the us. links will be in the description. Uh, you can Great. subscribe to my podcast, this podcast that you're listening to right now, the Aussie Nerds mm-hmm. Podcast. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Aussie Nerds Pod or on Facebook, uh, Aussie Ner- the Aussie Nerds. Links, all the links to all the things will be in the description. Uh, this was a blast. Yeah. Uh, I 
Harry wanted to talk about Star Trek because he's his particular. Of course, he Yes, of course. Uh, so I can't wait to have you and Harry and both of you back on at some point. 